Hi, and welcome to the Willow Ridge Church Weekly Podcast. This is where you can find audio for our current and past sermons. We hope that you enjoy this week's installment, and be sure to check back next week to hear the latest message. Thanks for listening. with a question this morning. And I love this question because we've got kids sitting in here with parents and parents sitting in here with kids. And what we're gonna establish from the very beginning is a level of truthfulness. In fact, let's do this. Can we bring the house lights all the way up? Because I wanna see the responses. There we go. Kids, look at your parents. Parents, look at your kids. If your kids are sitting over here, I see some parents trying to break their neck. Like, make sure you can see them, all right? I'm going to ask this question. Can't lie, you're in church, all right? How many of you, by show of hands, have ever done something wrong? Grayson's right here, Emma's right here. Have, not that you've ever done something wrong, a little, little over-eager on raising your hands first, all right? Have ever done something wrong and gotten away with it? Like, still to this day, your parents do not know. Raise your hands, raise your hands, raise your hands. Keep them up. Keep Aaron Bradbury, raise your hand. I'm going to pay for that later. Uh, That was not the Holy Spirit in me um, in that moment. I'm so sorry. Amen. Let's uh, take Lord's Supper. Uh, we're done. Oob, can you come preach? There we go. Okay. Years ago, my son got in a lot of trouble. I've told this story to some of y'all, tell the story to everybody, but Grayson got in the most trouble that he had ever gotten in. He's about four years old. I came into our kitchen, I sat down at our kitchen table and carved right in the middle of our table was a G. And so I called him in. Hey, buddy, did you do this? No. Really? Aaron, Bo, Emma, Grayson, G. Right there, did you do this? No. Buddy, I'm not really mad that, you're, that you did it. I'm mad that you're lying to me about it. So one more time, did you do it? No. Grace, you know what this means? And he looked at me and said, let me get a spanking. I said, yep. Worst spanking he's ever got. We still own this table. This table is still in our house, and several years ago, we're sitting there having dinner, and I'm recounting back to the time where my son got disciplined, like he'd never been disciplined before and has never been disciplined since. And I see a smile come across the face of my daughter. And I said, Emma, what's so funny? And she said, well, Dad, I was sitting at the table, and I had a pencil, and the eraser was off, and it had a sharp corner, and I turned it over, 
and I carved an E into the table. And I heard you coming, so I grabbed the pencil back and I drew a line from the bottom line of the E to the second line of the E and I made a G. And Grayson, sitting at the table, said, I knew it, I I told you, and then demanded justice, right? Either she gets a spanking or you get one, right? Either way, there's restitution that happens for this. You know, there's something about us when we do something wrong, we don't wanna be found guilty, right? In that moment, Emma knew, dad's coming, I gotta cover it up. Dad's coming, I can't get caught. Even in the midst of hearing her brother be punished, her mouth stayed closed. Now I wanna be honest with you, I asked permission from from my daughter to share this story this morning, right? Because the truth is, she at the age of four is so much like all of us in here today. We've all done things and thought we've gotten away with it. And the truth of the reality is that the tension within our lives, whether because of the punishment that awaits or the shame that is associated with it, we don't want to be found guilty. It's an interesting dynamic that spiritually speaking, before a relationship with Christ, that what you and I need above anything else, above, above prayers for our health, above prayers for others, before knowledge of scripture, before anything, the greatest spiritual need of anyone who is lost is this, to be made innocent. Because the problem that all of mankind has faced since the fall of the garden, is that we are guilty. Paul writes in Romans 3, 23, and he says that we all are guilty. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God or fall short of God's standard. And that's what I want us to deal with this morning, of what does the life begin to look like and what does it mean that in Christ and in Christ alone is how innocence is found. If you've got your Bibles with me, go ahead and open up to Galatians chapter two. We'll continue on in our study. Paul has been telling his story. He's talked about his conversion and his call to ministry and how the gospel came to him by God and God alone. We've seen that where Paul's talked about the Jerusalem council and the unity of the gospel, that the same gospel is the gospel that is proclaimed. It is the one true gospel. We started last week with looking at the confrontation that Paul had with Peter concerning Peter not living in the gospel fully, both the gospel that will save him and the gospel that he will live by. And so he's dealing with these matters. And now what Paul is going to do is he's going to bring the church of Galatia into the conversation. It's really going to culminate next week for us where we're going to see fully where he addresses them. But we're going to see here, starting in verse 15, he begins to draw the church in. 
So let's read starting in verse 15. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one is justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. And so this begins for us the conversation into it is not only the gospel that saves us, but it is the gospel that we live by. It's what he talked about last week as we walk in our faith, that we walk in the gospel. And what we want to begin the discussion of us for today and continuing on is the essential nature of faith, that faith is going to be the means that faith is how we are saved, that faith is the word that is chosen in this as Paul writes this forward of what we need. And so he breaks this down for the church. And what we begin to understand at the very beginning as we long for innocence, as we are all guilty, as we all have sin, as we all have not met the standard, is that it is through faith we are justified. Look back at verse 16. He says, so we have also believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Author I read this week said that what you find in Galatians 2.16 is Paul's summation of the gospel. And it's important for us to know that when he talks about justified, that it is a legal term. It's a legal term. So if a person stands before a judge, and as the judge declares them something, if he's going to declare them innocent, he declares that he's justified. So when Paul says that we are by faith, we are justified, what he is saying is it's not by anything else that we're made innocent. It's not by anything else that we're justified. It is by faith and faith alone that we are made innocent, that we are justified. This goes back to what he's talking with Peter about of what he's accusing Peter of in the previous section that we read. Remember, the issue is that Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles. Why wouldn't he eat with the Gentiles? Because Peter didn't consider them clean. He didn't consider them innocent. And so Paul reminds him, what makes us clean? What makes us innocent? Or maybe more importantly within that, what makes us what makes you? What makes me? What makes a Jew? What makes a Gentile 
acceptable to God. That's a big thing when we begin to wrap our minds around that. What is it that gives you and I the right to stand before a holy God? What is it that's going to cause you and I to have the opportunity to worship him forever? What gives you and I the opportunity to gather in this room today and sing praises to him and for our words to lift up and for him to hear those? What makes us acceptable to God? Let me start by telling you what doesn't make us acceptable to God. What doesn't make us acceptable to God is who we are in ourselves. Your race, your social status, your career, your name, and your nationality are not what makes you acceptable to God. Our culture is not what makes us acceptable to God. Anything that we try to, divide, to define in and of ourselves does not make us acceptable to God. What we have done, what we have achieved, what we have worked toward does not make us acceptable to God. Our good works, no. Our observance of the law, no. Paul even says in verse 19, for through the law, I died to the law. So what in the world makes us acceptable to God? It's our faith in Jesus. And the remarkable thing about that is as much as it's not about who we are, as much as it's not about what we've done, it is fully our faith in who he is and in what he's done. You see what the gospel does? It pulls off of us of who we are. The gospel pulls off of us what we've done, and it plants on the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Alpha and Omega, the perfect spotless lamb, and plants it on him of who he is and of what he's done. So in his perfection, in his holiness, place all on him. And then what he does is he moves us from being guilty and he makes us innocent. But then a beautiful part of this is when we're made justified, when we're made innocent, there's two parts. When we're made innocent, not only do we not have the penalty of the guilty, but we also have the benefit of the innocent. Think about that. Think about what that means for us in our lives, is that I no longer live as someone been found guilty. Even though I did it, even though that was me, even though I can't deny it, even though I can't wish it away on someone else, even though I did it, not only am I not found guilty, but I am found innocent, which means this, in spite of all that I've done, in spite of all that I'm doing, and in spite of all that I will do in the future, God looks at me and declares me innocent, and that is what defines me. And so from our faith, our faith is what justifies us. Our faith is what saves us, but also through faith, we live. Verse 19, Paul describes what a person who's truly saved by God will live their life like. He says, a person who has died to the law so that I may live for God. The heart application of the gospel. 
Not that I may live for myself, not that I may live for my agenda, not that I may live for my sin, not that I may live for anything else, but that I am made innocent. Paul says, I died to the law so that I may live for God. You see, before in Paul, before he was saved, you could look at his life. He would look at his life. He would look at his achievements. And he would say, to the law, I obeyed it. But his heart for obedience came as a means to earn, not as a means to live. His heart before was a heart of earning the salvation and not transformed by it. And so when God saved him, when God came and radically saved who he was and where he was called and what he would do and granted him eternal life that comes with that, it all began to change for him. And so now Paul's level of obedience is not in order to save himself, but Paul's level of obedience is so that he can live for God. Look at verse 20. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, he says, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. One of the more common verses that we're going to see in Galatians, Paul makes the declaration that I have been crucified with Christ. And it's not just Paul, but it's any of us who have placed our faith in Christ. That the Bible says that you and I, that we have been crucified with him. Now that's weird, right? Because that happened a long time ago. That happened far away. We weren't there for it. So what does it mean that you and I are crucified with Christ? Well, theologically speaking, what it means is this, is that the old me, the old you, the us before a relationship with Jesus, that we were spiritually speaking, theologically speaking, crucified on the cross with Christ. And then what we get is a beautiful picture of symbolism of what takes place and what new life looks like. That the old us was put on the cross with him and died to sin and was buried. And then just as Christ came in life from the tomb that you and I, now that we are walking with him, you and I, now that we've been saved by the gospel, you and I, now that we are justified, made innocent, that you and I, we walk in new life. We walk in new hope. We walk in what was different than what was before. But all of Galatians is going to point us back to something practically. What does that practically mean for you and for me on a day-to-day basis? Here's what this means. Because we've been crucified with Christ, what we can do is we can repent with joy. We can repent with joy. Because the truth is, as much as what I've done, it's what I will do. As much as it was taken care of in my past, I still have my present and I still have my future. And I can approach repentance not with a nature of getting caught, 
but I can approach repentance with the opportunity and the understanding of being set free. And so repentance means for me, it is marked with not shame, not guilt, but joy. Joy. The second thing, what it means to be crucified with Christ is this, that we can live without fear. We can live without fear. Because we've been crucified with Christ, because we've been declared innocent, that doesn't go away. There's not someone that's gonna appear before us with God and bring up past charges. There's not someone who's gonna stand with us before God and say, but did you know about these things? That when we stand before him because of the power and of the work of Christ, where we are is declared innocent. And so I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid of what others may say. I'm not afraid of what others may do. And as much as as humans, we wrestle with a fear of death, as much as we wrestle with the sadness that's associated with it, what I know is that when I leave this earth, and however God calls me home, I don't need to be afraid to stand before him. Fear is not what awaits me. And then it enables us to walk in a true manner of obedience. Not because we have to, not because we're forced to, not because we're told, if you don't, then this. But we get to walk in obedience because of who he is. Church, when it comes to the gospel, there's a phrase that we use all the time. And I want us to remind ourselves of it today. When it comes to the gospel, it's all or nothing. When it comes to the gospel, it's all or nothing. You can't place faith in yourself and faith in Jesus. You can't place faith in your works and faith in Jesus. You can't place faith in your race and faith in Jesus. It's faith in Christ and Christ alone. And if any of that is placed anywhere else, then it's not the faith in Christ. Thanks again for listening to the Willow Ridge Church weekly podcast. We hope that you enjoyed listening to this week's message. If you'd like to learn more about who we are or explore additional resources, visit us online at www.willowridgechurch.com or by searching for Willow Ridge Church on Facebook and Instagram.